So, September. It's arrived. How's that feel? Yeah. Oh, something. Ah, oh, thank goodness. Kids back to school. Oh, 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 kids back to school. There's all sorts of different reactions to it. Um, I think when our kids were at school age, our reaction was, ah, oh, they've got to go back to school. We're having such a good summer. But we recognise that, that, you know, life moves on, doesn't it? And uh, just interesting, just watching our grandchildren going into another year of school and the adjustments to new teachers and all those sorts of things going on, the adjustments to life. And um, so I want to start us off this Sunday and next Sunday in just adjusting to new life, what's happening here at Eastgate. So I have the the great privilege, I'm looking forward to this. So you're going to get a four-part sermon. Um, okay, so there's tonight, uh, there's t- this morning, uh, tonight, next Sunday morning, and next Sunday evening, I'm doing a four-part series. Okay, so on building our future together. So uh, somebody's saying, "Oh, I've got to come to all four. Well, you don't have to, um, but you're welcome to. Um, they will be separate, but they'll be linked. They will be rec- obviously all recorded, so you'll be able to catch up on on the website if you can't get to any one of them. But I'm, I'm linking things together. Um, and uh, there is so much going on, isn't there? Um, and I'm really excited about building the future. Are you excited about building the future? Well, three of us are going to have a good time together. But <laughs> I know these rhetorical questions are sometimes tricky, but I was, we, preachers look for a response. But it's the sense of, I'm presuming you're, you're excited about building a future together. Cause, and uh, so I, I'm going to look... Uh, that the books of, well, particularly the book of Nehemiah, but also just dipping into Ezra to give you a historical context, because I feel God stirred me to, to look at things there that give us principles of how you build the future. Um, and uh, we had a fantastic week this week, actually, the Encounter Week, which was actually a new venture here at Eastgate, where we had people here, sort of Monday to Friday, 9.30 to 5.30, on really a, a supernatural school experience, and it was fantastic, wasn't it, Carol? Anybody else who was here through the week? Ian, fantastic, yeah. And there, yeah, I just, oh yeah, our friend from Wren, welcome. Brilliant to have you here. So it was just one of those, it was, you know, an idea that came up particularly with um, Robin Vicky Schultz and Mark Henley and uh, presented that to sort of David, Kim and I in terms of it within the context of the Supernatural School. Thought, yeah, that's a great idea. And just to say those three did a great job of, of organising and delivering that. Um, but actually just called upon... Uh, the resources of Eastgate in a great way. And I was, I was really pleased to hear there were people who come uh, from France, our friend from Rennes in France there. Uh, there are people over from Holland, there are people down from Scotland. And one of the, the common feedbacks that I was uh, hearing was that the, one, the biggest impacts upon people coming from outside of Eastgate was, was, was it gave them a view of understanding how a church can function with all five uh, ministry gifts within apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers, how these five actually work alongside one another in mutual respect, submission, and harmony to build something that God has created. Now, that's one of the things I want to explore, not this morning, but that how, how you build well in God's way, because God has actually given a way of us building church and changing the world. Um, and it's very important to, to uh, follow his blueprint, his foundations. Um, good. Have you seen the? I don't know if you had a look outside. Anybody had a look outside? The, the annex is rising. It's great. It's great. I've been watching it. It's just. It's, it, and 
by the end of November that should be usable. Um, and, uh, but one of the things that was quite important to, to uh, do when, when we uh, started to build that, what was the first thing that happened when we were building that, apart from getting the architectural plans and the money together? What was the first part of the building process of the foundations? We say, oh, why, why was that necessary? Eastgate's already got, we've got foundations for this church already. So, so we don't need any foundations, do we, Martin? Because we've already built them. Now, no, you're laughing, but actually, just this is a quite an important principle. When you're building, you're building further. You've got to make sure the foundations are are correct, extending out. Now, that's that's an important thing. You can presume that you've got something, you, and it might be suitable for now. But actually, if you want to extend it out further, you do have to make sure that it has foundational values within it, rather than presume you've got the foundations. Because if we built that on the side and it had no, no foundations to it, although it might look like it was attached, ultimately it would probably crumble and actually might affect this, this building in that because it's actually attached to this building. I'm right, aren't I, Martin? I'm looking at Martin, the architect. It's not just important for the annex, it's important for what already exists, that things are built well. Okay? So building the future together is not just about what's going to be built, but it's actually making sure it links to what is already built and making sure the foundational values are consistent throughout. And, and one thing this week was interesting when we were uh, looking at the Encounter Week uh, and the program and stuff like that, we had to, had to make sure, we, we, we had to go back and examine the program and, and the, what the ideas were behind it to make sure it sat on the same foundations as it already exists within Eastgate, that it wasn't a sort of a nice, a nice expression but sitting on a separate foundation. Is that making sense to you? So, that's some of the things we're going to do. Um, don't you love that song, The Reckless Love of God? Do you like the idea that he chases you down? Or was that a scary idea? He's after you. He is after you. He's after you in a loving way. And, and the, there's no mountain he won't climb up. No wall he won't kick down. There's all this stuff. Um, and that just raised a question in my mind as we were singing it. Is, is how reckless is your love for God? How reckless is your love for God? Is, is there no mountain you will climb up? Or no wall you won't kick down in order to follow him? There are no lies you won't demolish in your life because of your pursuit of who he is. And the Bible says that we love because he first loved us. But the, our love is meant to be a reflection of his love. And reckless is not careless. It's that sense of... Up abandonment to, 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 to him and his cause. Um, so uh, I've been excited thinking about lots of this stuff over the course of the summer. August is sort of thinking month for me. I get my brains going and then I get, I'm so excited when I get a chance to put my thought, thoughts out there. <coughs> um, oh, just one thing that I'm supposed to be mentioning. I've got lots of notices to give world into this, uh, this, this sermon this morning. Um, there's a connect group coming up called Any Questions? Um, and I'm really excited about it because I'm going to be part of that. It's actually looking at some of the really difficult questions of life. Not just biblical questions. Got questions. Is it called Got Questions? Got Questions. Anyway, so, and I'm really excited because actually it's being led by Mary Smith and Katie Smith, who's one of the teenagers and one of the youth in church. And 
And they're starting to ask, they ask all sorts of questions. What about you know, the gay issues? What about marriage? What about this? What about all the big stuff of life? Um, and I think Mark Henley's starting off first one, and then I think you're on it, David. I'm, I'm doing it. So really excited to be in that. And uh, so that's just one of the other options in the Connect groups. Heaven in Healthcare is something that we're building, and I just want to mention that. Um, if you work in any area of healthcare, I would like to invite you to be involved in building the future of healthcare in this country together with other radicals. Okay, and we've got the conference coming up. It's two weekends' time. So on the Friday evening and the Saturday, the 21st, 22nd of September. And as members of Eastgate, I'd like you to, to, to consider getting engaged with that because it's one of the key outcomes that we've got at the moment of actually changing the world around us. Because I think we're not just trying to create Eastgate, we're trying to help build the world around us. You only have to look out the windows and see this city being built. We, we have the most obvious physical demonstration of being involved in the building of a city here. You just have to look out and see it's being built. Now, if we don't engage ourselves with that very deliberately, then we will miss the opportunity that's, that's placed in front of us of actually helping to shape the world around us. So I want us to think about that. And, and Heaven and Healthcare, just put it out there, go on the website, book into the conference, and then we have a, a Connect Group, Heavenly Healthcare Connect Group, which meets once a month. Um, it's not meeting in September because we're getting ready for the conference, but it'll be the second Wednesday of every month. And uh, we had a, had a meeting in August, and I thought, oh, that'd be a bit of a low month. I thought we might have six or eight people turning up. And, but actually, we had 21 people come to the meeting in August. We're radically, and people are coming now from, from Guildford, from Essex, from other places, because they said, we want to help build this thing. We've heard what's going on. So it's... Yeah, more and more exciting. So, okay, I don't, what do you do, what do you do with your sort of, those, those gaps in the year when, when you've got time to maybe think, I don't know whether August was a thinking time for you, but you know that bit between Christmas and New Year as well, you know there, there were times in my life where I actually have time to sort of review. Do you do life reviews? Don't have time for life review. <laughs> I would suggest, you, suggest it's worth having time for life review. It, it really is worth. I know it's sometimes tricky, in, in the, but it's worth having time for, for, for life reviews. And um, one of the things I, Kim and I were very deliberate with, with our uh, children, David and Kerry, as they're growing up, is, is made sure that they, they realise that following Jesus is, is a continual decision, not, not a one-off decision. You know, uh, uh, how, many, how many people have you seen have, have chosen to follow Jesus but are no longer following Jesus? painful. There might be even some of you in this room who are thinking, I'm not quite sure how well I'm doing on this following Jesus at the moment. Um, and if you read through the Bible, that, that is a, uh, a recurring story. So if you think of somebody like Abraham, Abraham had to continue to choose to trust God, even when it didn't look great. How about David, King David? Would you say his life was very straightforward? I would suggest not. You know, he, he, was an, he, was, he was actually anointed king of Israel by the prophet Samuel way, way, way before that ever became a reality. He had to live with a calling which had no reality to it in, in one state. He had a physical reality, this is, uh, sorry, a spiritual reality to it, but not a physical reality to it. And if you've got a calling of God upon your life, there will be, there's a sense where the spiritual calling will always precede your, your physical rea- reality. Yeah? So, so, 
you know, as, as I've reviewed life, I look at the, the callings of God upon my life, and then actually I'm amazed how God has worked those out over the years. So I was looking back. It, it was my, uh, I know this is difficult to believe, but it was my 60th birthday, due in August, saying that. And so for me, there was a slightly different life review going on, because I'd had a conversation with God earlier on in the year, telling him I wasn't ready to be 60. So I was... <laughs> But he didn't give me any alternative, so I, I, <laughs> there seemed to be no other choice. I thought, ah, okay, I'm not ready. I don't want to, I'm not sure I want to be not ready. Really not quite sure this is a good idea, God. You know, can we replay the tapes a bit? Anyway, we can juggle this around. And the answer was no. No, it's, it's, it's a new 48. It's, it's, but it was one of those strange moments I had with God. Um, he did sort me out. He got my strict thinking straight. So I'm happily here proclaiming. Uh, that I'm now 60. I was actually going to, I was going to pretend it was my 32nd birthday, and you, you have to work that out. You'll get it if you're a mathematician, it's quite straightforward. It's the second lot of 30. You see 30, the second 30. No, 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 you're going to, no, no. Two lots of 30 make 60 is what I'm telling you, okay? So, so I thought, no, that, that's just not going to fly, is it? And as I've just found out, that didn't work at all. So, so 60, wow, 60. And then I thought, okay, let's, let's look back and see the faithfulness of God over a period of time. And then actually to examine, not myself in, in a critical way, bad way, but actually my walk with God. Because I was born again when I was 16. But actually, so I thought, I could work my way through the decades. And um, so I thought, oh, okay, 40 years ago. What happened to me 40 years ago? Well, 40 years ago when I was 20, God came into my university room when I was... Uh, reading my Bible and praying one evening, and literally was a, a, you know, a definite visitation of, of, of God physically with me. Um, and I knew that he called me at that stage. Um, and he called me very specifically, and I'll say it now, I didn't know what to do with it at that point. I knew he called me to be an apostle at that stage. Now, that was a really strange concept for a 20-year-old medical student, and particularly as that... That word was just about coming back into use within Christianity. And the only people I knew who had any reference to that were sort of big, massive ministry platform speakers. You think, well, I have no idea how I fit into that category. So I kept quiet. The only person I told was Kim. I thought it was quite important that she was marrying me, that she'd know this was life. And, um, and I, again, not long after that, just before we got married, God, God met me. Um, she was in, in the flat we, we bought uh, to start our married life uh, living in. And uh, just before we got married, I was having an evening with God there. <laughs> and, uh, and he came and, and he, he, he told me that he was calling me to, to lead millions of people into freedom. Well, that's a lot of people. And he said, he told me to, to, to look at the example of Moses, basically, see how Moses actually did that. So I studied the book of Moses and thought, ooh, that's easy. If you study the book of Moses, when you're called to lead a lot of people, it's not easy. <laughs> There's a degree of, of I don't know, I, I still can't get it. When, when you look at the book of Exodus and the Israelites are released from slavery, how quickly they want to go back to it. I, really, I, I think, why? Why? You've been set free. And the only thing, only explanation which still confuses me is that they got cucumbers in Egypt. 
I don't, I'm not that keen on cucumber. I, I, I can eat them, but I'm not that keen. But they're certainly not an attraction. But I think even if you love cucumbers, they're, they're, that's not a great reason to go back into slavery, is it? <laughs> cucumber. What are they being offered? A land flowing with milk and honey. But the battle to get there was, 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 was enough to, to make them desire slavery rather than freedom. Amazing. I tell you, there's a lot of Christians who prefer slavery to freedom. Why? You don't have to think lot. Don't need any faith. Just need to do what you're told. God didn't. So Jesus didn't set us free for slavery. He set us free for freedom. Galatians 5, verse, verse 1. So, <clears throat> so I, you know, I, I did medical school, qualified as a doctor, and we, Kim and I always had this in the, the background of our thinking that God, we had a calling, but it had, I, I can say, it had no reality, physically. You know, it just, so what did we do? We got on with life. I tell you, there is no other way of, of walking into God's purposes than getting on with life, with Him. Don't try and manufacture the, the process. You can't. David certainly didn't. King David. You know, how did God train David to be a king? Well, I said, by being a shepherd, I would suggest. Fighting lions and bears and looking after sheep. And, and while he was doing that, what, what do we know about David during that time? He worshipped. He interacted with God. So God was involved in, in his everyday life. Um, fast forward about 10 years. Uh, so 1978 was when God visited me. In my 1988, um, Kim and I moved to New Ash Green and became part of what was at that stage New Ash Green Community Church, um, a church that had been going about 10 years. Dave and Kate, at that stage was it? So, so, so Dave and Kate, one or two others, were in, still in this church were part of the church at that stage. Um, and cutting a long story short, we, we we were we needed to relaunch the church in October of that year, and we sort of rebooted the church, and at that stage I was asked to lead the church, um, as still being a full-time doctor, that's why we actually think this, this year is a 30 years of celebrating that, but it's about 40 years of celebrating the overall uh, <coughs> length of the church, but 30 years since we did a reboot, and, and, <coughs> and we started leading it with about 25 of us, and, um, and the only way we, need to, we knew how to do it was with God with us, doing what he said, and getting on with life. Um, and uh, <clears throat> over the next 10 years, the church grew substantially. We had to move out of our premises twice, I think, in that, that, those 10 years um, because we outgrew where we were. We had to, to get out of the one village scene where we all walked to church and we all, you know, everybody was in and out of each other's houses. We had to do the discomfort of moving three miles down the road and, and having to drive to church. It was dreadful. You know, it, oh, what are we going to do? We're going to have to drive to church. Man, this is, we're breaking out of, of, of this thing. Why? Because God was giving us this thing and he suddenly gave us responsibility for sort of an area, a rural area of spiritually. We, we took it on and we were faithful with that. And things carried on. Um, within that next 10 years, from 1988 through to 1998, uh, the church just grew and got established. So around about 20 years ago, so 20 years ago, back now, 1998, um, we were asked to take, start to take responsibility to help the development of other churches in this, in this country and then actually in other nations like France and stuff like that. And 
travelled to Mexico, and, and all sorts of things started to happen that put us not just out of three, three miles down the road from where we started, but, but playing on an, an international stage. We thought, well, we weren't ready for this because we... And I, I'm looking back at all this, and I think, oh, I think, I think this is what you called me for back then. You know, that, that seems... <laughs> ah, right, it's now making some sense. I'm, I'm starting to understand it, but I've never been able to think of myself other than Pete. You know, people say... You know, what do we call you? Uh, Pete's my name. <laughs> Always has been. It's not likely to change. I'm not after changing it. It's not that I'm not doing any. Uh, do you have any other title? Yes, if you really, if you really, really, really need the title for me, my title's Doctor. <laughs> Please don't call me Pastor, Apostle, this, that, and the other. So I'm not Pastor Pete. I'm not Apostle Pete. I'm Pete. And if I need, a, if I need a, 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 a title to get me in places, the other place, then Dr. Peter Carter gets me lots of places. Just like Paul used his Roman citizenship. No, I'm not front <coughs> um, And I would say, again, that the first 10 years, 1988, 1998, we, we really formed a foundational value within the church of, of the presence of God, hearing God, uh, outreach, activity. 1998, we, we learned how to actually help other churches. Then get forward to 2008, um, and uh, that was around the time that we first started to interact with Bethel. Not <coughs> um, be funny, you know, we, we thought we were doing quite well. We were, in one sense, and then we went to Bethel and thought, let me, I think we need to learn how to do Christianity. Because <laughs> it was a shock. Now, it's not a shock because the previous... 20 years or so, 30 years have been redundant and wrong. It's just actually God always wants to take you up. And if you want to move on, you have to be able to readjust to the realities. How many of you know there's a difference between a 5-year-old child, a 10-year-old child, and a 15-year-old child? You say, oh, no, they do, that's just the same child. No, not the same child. <laughs> You have to adjust as things move and grow, don't you? Otherwise, treating a 15-year-old like a 5-year-old, generally not good. Doesn't usually work very well. Treating a 5-year-old like a 15-year-old, dangerous. Neither appropriate. Okay, so as God has moved us on, we thought, oh, we've had to stretch ourselves out and beyond. And I would say the last 10 years have been extraordinary (coughs) within this church in many different ways. We had to pay massive price for change. We literally did. <clears throat> but we had a massive calling. So in 2009, we had this calling from God that was to the church, but given initially to Kim, then to myself as well, of creating beachheads for freedom to change nations and to change a continent. And I thought, oh, now I understand what millions of people to freedom means. Because I think when Kim and I went and stayed in Bethel in 2009 for three months, and we actually learned what it was to live in freedom. I would say that, that's the key thing. So I think we were doing well, you know, those first 30 years, what we've done with life. But then God gave us an opportunity. And I think now we are prepared to lead millions of people into freedom. And that's what's happening. I think that's when people come here now, they, they say, oh, the freedom is that the, the people coming from elsewhere for the encounter week, they say, oh, wow, it's amazing freedom here. Freedom, freedom, freedom. That is a key thing to learn. And what we're doing with Living Fire now with other churches is teaching 
churches how to value freedom and to, to, to lead free people rather than lead a, a bunch of servants. I find it extraordinarily exciting. So ten years ago, <coughs> David Webster, myself, Jim Hunter at that stage, and I think Donna came at one stage, we sat at Bethel doing their transformation school, learning how to build a church like that. What's happened in that time since then? Well, we started in, in 2008. We actually started Supernatural School. Remember David? We started on a Wednesday morning. Excited. With 17 people, didn't we? On a Wednesday morning. Was anybody part of that? There you go. Back there, Josie. Part of the first cohort of Supernatural School. Well done. <coughs> We started with 17 people. We have now trained well over a thousand people. Well over a thousand people. It grows. So day school this year is now beyond 70 students again. Evening school beyond 100. We just have more than 60 people come and do encounter week. Now when I I say to other places, actually we have supernatural school of... about more than 200 students every year. They go, wow. Why do they come? Because that's, they've finally we've got something to give away. And that was another prophecy in 2004. God told us that we would have a Joseph anointing, that we would feed nations. But if you want to have a Joseph anointing, you have to have a lot of resources. Yeah? <laughs> Joseph would not have been able to feed the nation with a few bags of grain. And that's why we are having to learn how to be a big church. And look, big church with big resources. And I want to challenge you that being part of a big church is completely different to being a church of 25, 50, 100, whatever. It just is different. It really, really is. <clears throat> so I think there's probably about 900 in the Eastgate church community now. Of which you are part. Yes? No? Yes, good. <laughs> So, here's a quick question. What's your responsibility in all this? To play your part and help build the future. And I want to use the the book of Nehemiah to help us understand that. We've got challenges. I'm going to throw them out there. One one of the great thrills of my life is having uh, my grandchildren in this church. Love it. Love it, love it, love it. it. Fun, 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 fun. And helping raise that, that next generation. So they were around our house yesterday. We were having good interaction with them. But, but I remember my children were raised in this church. Many of you know David. He's now a director of the church. And they're just so excited seeing him come into his own. You know, my daughter is literally changing the world at this moment. I can't tell you much about her, but she's literally discipling a nation at this moment. Because we decided we wanted to raise world changers. And that happened in the context of this church. It wasn't just me. I'm looking at Dave Stevens over there. Dave and Kate. How, many, how many different forms of leadership did you exercise over my children, Dave? Countless children's leader. There was worship. There was this, that, and the other. Many other people who poured in. Uh, Hugh and Elaine, thank you for actually your friendship to, towards our family. Just what we've done over the years and the interaction we've had together. You know, what we do with our children is, is, is vitally important, isn't it? Would you I hope you agree with me on that? How many of you want to be involved in, in, in creating world changes? 
this generation, not many of you, this is sad, this is looking sad. I, I, I know it's always tricky, to, it's, the, it's the preacher's hand, is it? No, please don't, don't, what you're volunteering for. Yeah, I'm always worried, oh, what's he getting to get me into now? I'm going to get you into changing the world. I don't know if you noticed today, I'm not sure if it went a week early, but <laughs> I was just thinking, I'm not sure that was meant to happen this week rather than next week, but the children actually went out after 15 minutes of the worship time rather than 20. That's a deliberate decision we've made, um, uh, which has been some adjustments on the side of the worship team, but also the children's work has done. We're trying to help all of us, and particularly parents, disciple our children as, as world change. And we just, we're examining what's, what's the best way of doing that in the last church. It is challenging, isn't it? And if you're a parent, we need you to be discipling your children. We're going to walk alongside you with that. Um, so that's one of the changes that's gone on. We're just slightly cutting down that, that, that we think it's probably more helpful to have 15 rather than 20 minutes. So the, 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 the children's workers, workers, teams, whatever we call them, downstairs have adjusted to that. It, it gives them a little bit of time pressure challenge because what I'm saying, leading children's work in a large church with many visitors is completely different to having a small church where everybody knows each other's children and the children know all the adults. It's a completely different ballgame, which is why the organisation of our children's work has to be organised. It's why some people get upset, upset by this, but actually we have to have a cut-off time of when kids can be registered to actually go in on a Sunday. Now, why? It's actually a safeguarding reason. It's a safety issue because we get so many kids coming in and not everybody's known. And, and that's not done to restrict things. It's actually done to, to enhance what we can do with, with our children. And it's really important we understand that. Um, and uh, it's not to reduce access. It's to, it's to make sure that, that things work. Now, what I want to say is, is I, we need to take responsibility the, 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 uh, take responsibility for raising our children together. And I'm going to throw it out there. We need more people in the children's team and the youth teams. Okay? So at the end, I'm going to give you an opportunity to sign up for that. So if your hand didn't go up now, it can go up next. <laughs> next Saturday, we've got a birthday party, whether we call it the 30th anniversary, 40th anniversary, it doesn't really matter. We're going to celebrate Eastgate together. Saturday afternoon, 4 to 8 here at Eastgate, barbecue. I can't remember all the details. They're on your update, but I would come... Come, 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 and, come and have fun together. You know, it's important, isn't it, to celebrate milestones. That's, that's a part of the Bible. We celebrate milestones and then we move on <coughs> from where we are. So, whew, what are we going to build together? How, how big is your imagination? Because God will give you more than you ask or imagine. I'm, I'm imagining in the next ten years, building a city. Building an international organization called Heaven in Healthcare which will enhance and enrich the healthcare in many nations. A community of churches who will walk together in freedom, supporting and loving one another. A church that will have ample resources to supply the nations, which means we need to be probably not 900, we probably need to be more than the thousands. What would it be like to be part of a church of thousands? Different. Will you know everybody? No, you don't know everybody right now, so forget that one. I don't know you all. You don't know each other all if you look around this room, do you? We did when we were 25 of us, but we're way beyond that. We've been called to build something that will change the nations. Build for next generations. Build a school. 
keep imagining it, Hope School over there. Ten years' time, we'll have a thriving primary school over there. There's a massive battle going on for that at the moment. Massive, massive spiritual battle, I was just covering We need to pray, we need to be strong. I think all of us could be involved in that battle, right? Pray, pray, pray for Hope Community School to be delivered on that site within the next couple of years. It's a really, really key ingredient of what God wants to do, I believe, in, the, in, the, in Ebb Street Garden City. Okay, so I just want to read from um, the beginning of it. So I'm going to carry on with this tonight, next Sunday morning, next Sunday evening. Okay, so you won't be missing out as long as you're either there or listen to the, to the to recordings. Um, I will string it all together. But in the book of Ezra, okay, the book of Ezra is an extraordinary story. Um, and it says this at the beginning. It says, in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia. Now, Cyrus was a pagan king, not probably not a nice guy. In order to fulfill the word of the Lord spoken by Jeremiah. So, so, so the, the nation of Israel had a calling upon it to go back and rebuild Jerusalem. Yeah? They went into exile, but that was never the purpose. Pur- pur- the purpose of exile was, was, was refining with an order to go back and rebuild Jerusalem. Got that? That was prophesying. So, so <clears throat> then God moves the heart of a pagan king who basically has, has effectively ownership of the slave nation of Israel, to set them free and go back and build a temple in Jerusalem. It says this, The Lord Lord moved the heart of Cyrus, king of Persia, to make a proclamation throughout his realm and also to put it in writing. It's extraordinary. If you ever think we haven't got enough resources, just look at the resources that are in the world and understand that God can release those. He's not short of ideas or resources. The resources are there in the world. It says, this, this is what Cyrus, king of Persia, says. The Lord, the God of heaven, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth, and he has appointed me to build a temple for him at Jerusalem in Judah. That is an amazing <laughs> statement, isn't it not? Any of his people among you may go up to Jerusalem in Judah and build the temple of the Lord, the God of Israel, the God who is in Jerusalem, and may their God be with them. And in any locality where survivors may now be living, the people are to provide them with silver and gold, with goods and livestock, and with free will offerings for the temple of God in Jerusalem. Wow. Where's, where's the resources going to come from? Not just our pockets. Then the family heads of Judah and Benjamin and the priests and Levites. Now this is important. Everyone whose heart God had moved prepared to go up and build the house of the Lord in Jerusalem. All their neighbors assisted them with articles of silver and gold, with gold, goods and livestock, and with valuable gifts, in addition to all the free will offerings. What is interesting there is that it said anybody could go, but the only ones who did go were those who were moved by God. <clears throat> now, I think anybody could have been moved by God. I'm one, one, so this is the question I'm asking. As we're moving forward, how's your heart condition? Are you ready to be moved by God? Or are you living in the past? Are you living in exile? So one of the things I do, just, just as quick, <laughs> my yearly review, is to make sure I'm still following Jesus. Yeah? And there are a couple of little tips I'll just give you on this. If Jesus isn't in front of you, you're not following him. <laughs> it's as simple as that. Jesus doesn't stay still too long. I know he had moments of rest, but basically he's, he's on the go. If you know everything, you're not following him. If there's no room for risk, you're probably not following him. <laughs> I know, I'm, 
I love him. Do you love him? How reckless is your love for him? How reckless is your love for him? So, anyway, I need to just bring this to a close in a couple of minutes and then I'll pick up again this evening. <laughs> there were all sorts of battles that I'm going to go through and teach tonight. The, the, the book of Ezra is about the building of the temple, not, not the city. So the first thing they did when they went back to Jerusalem was actually build the temple. Okay? They had opposition. There was a standstill for 15 years. They had to break through with the prophetic word. But eventually, uh, uh, the temple was completed in 515 BC, 23 years after they first went back to Jerusalem. So it's from 23 years, 15 of which they they were at a standstill for. But so in in 515 BC, (coughs) they completed the temple. Then you get the book of Nehemiah. And it's 70 years later, 70 years later, okay, so in, in 445 BC, this is what happened. In the month of Kislev, which is November, December, in the 20th year of Artaxerxes, while I was in the citadel of Susa, Hanani, one of my brothers, came from Judah with some other men, and I questioned them about the Jewish remnant that had survived the exile and also about Jerusalem. So he wanted to know. This was Nehemiah. He said, what's going on in Jerusalem? What, what's being built? What's happened in the last 70 years? Because you finished the temple, what's happened? And this is, this is it. They said to me, those who survived the exile and are back in the province are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates have been burned with fire. When I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. See, here's a man who had a heart for what God was going to build. And what had happened after they built the temple... They stopped building. Don't, um, this is just the history story here. That, that they, they managed the magnificent. How many of you would have been loved to be involved in building that temple? Would that not have been amazing? It would. In the answer, you would have. And then you get there, the celebrations when it's finished, and then what happens? Nothing. What happens if you do nothing? Decay. The enemies came in, <clears throat> and I want to tell you this that. that I don't believe we're there. I'm not saying this is any reference to us, but I'm saying we have done well. I would say, you know, if we just look at the last 10 years, we've done amazingly well in what we built. You know, we're extending it. But unless we are willing to push on for the next bit, then in 70 years' time, I don't think this will be very relevant. Okay? What do we, now, in 70 years' time, not many of us will be here. Some of you might be, but the next generations will be. So I want, I want you to stand with me. This is not coercive, all right, but I want you to stand with me. And I want us to commit ourselves to building the future together. Would you do that with me? I know the kids are going to, you guys go and collect the kids in a minute, but I just, can you just hold on for that just for a couple of seconds while we do finish this off? I can't, I'm not in charge of your hearts. You're in charge of your heart connected to God. But I'm hoping your heart is moved. Because I want to build the future with people like yourselves. Radical people still following Jesus. You know, he's worthy of it all. He really is. He is, he is the pearl of great price. I, I follow him because he's, he's my Lord and he's my delight. I don't follow him because I'm coerced to... 
I have a choice and I make this continual choice to follow Jesus and to build what he's putting in front of me. But I don't do that alone. And that's what we're going to look at this evening when we build together alongside one another the delight that that comes. So Father, we commit ourselves once again to you and your purposes. We choose to walk alongside one another. And Jesus, we choose to follow you. And if you're a little bit distant, make that decision right now. Choose to follow him. Just come back. Wow. Thank you, Jesus. Father, we pray that we will build something that will last through generations. won't be a one-generation wonder. Father, we pray for our children and our children's children. That they would love you and follow you. And they will build upon the foundations that we lay for them. Father, we pray that you would help us to raise world changers who will go way beyond what we've ever done, who will take what we've built and extend it.